Welcome to Baseball Neighborhood. I'm your host, Tavi, and this week we are talking Orioles. Okay, remember that Western League we've talked about before with the White Sox and the Athletics? Well, the current Baltimore Orioles have been a part of the American League since its creation from that Western League in 1901, but not under that name. This franchise started its baseball life in Milwaukee and were called, surprise, the Brewers. But they only stayed there for one season before the franchise moved to St. Louis and changed their name to the Browns. They became the Orioles in 1954 when they finally settled in Baltimore. Funnily enough, there was actually another Baltimore Orioles MLB team, also charter members of the American League. But that team left Baltimore after only two seasons. Today, you know them as the New York Yankees. There are a few O's players that are definitely worth mentioning. The first being superstar Frank Robinson, who was traded to the Orioles in 1966. And yes, that was the year that the Orioles swept the Dodgers in four games to win the World Series. Ouch. Anyway, Frank has had so many distinctions to his name. First and so far only player to win MVP in both the American and National Leagues. A triple crown winner, 14-time All-Star, and the first Black manager in Major League Baseball history. It's no small surprise, he was elected to the Hall of Fame in his very first eligible year. Robinson's time with the team would kick off what most would consider to be the, the Orioles' glory days. From 66 to 83, they went on a tear through the American Leagues with multiple 100-plus win seasons. One of the other Orioles players in the history books came at the end of those glory years in the 80s and continuing into the new millennium. Cal Ripken Jr. holds several Major League Baseball records, including most American League All-Star selections, most home runs by a shortstop, most consecutive innings played, and of course, the one he's most known for, most consecutive games played, with 2,632 games played in a row. We can't talk Dodgers and Orioles without bringing up Manny Machado, who was traded to the Dodgers from the Orioles in July of 2018. He was traded to the Dodgers at the very end of his contract year and was a part of that 2018 World Series run, a series in which Machado wasn't very good. After gaining free agency, Machado signed with the Padres for the 2019 season, and I think most fans across baseball know how that situation is panning out. Though, rumor has it, he still owes a certain fan some money, if you know what I mean. Okay, so aside from that dismal 1966 World Series performance for the Dodgers at least. The Dodgers and the Orioles have faced off 15 times in regular season interleague play. Of those games, the Dodgers have won nine and the Orioles have won six. Without further ado, let's meet an Orioles fan. Welcome to the show, Heather Lennington Noble, who is an Orioles fan and also a member of the Positive Spin Rate podcast, which we'll absolutely talk about. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I guess yeah, again. again. Yeah. So uh, Heather is being extra nice uh, coming on the show today because we did record another podcast previously and we just, our, our, the sound was unsalvageable. It was all on my end. We've hopefully fixed those issues now. Thank you again, Heather, for coming back. So I guess I'll start off with a question that you actually might answer differently from the first time. How does it feel like to be an Orioles fan right now? This season has been a lot of fun so far. Um, you know, the, the, the season in general has been very strange league-wide, which means that it's hard to call the Orioles a bad team because there aren't really any, there, there are a handful of good teams and there aren't really any teams that are like much worse than the others. In general, there's just kind of a lot of parity where most of the teams in the league are within this like, two to three game uh, stretch of one another it's just super tight of course everybody still talks about the quote-unquote bad teams as if they are the worst teams in the league when they're all of these teams that people talk about in much more positive ways that are worse than them right now so it's making it yeah it's making it fun and our pitching has been fantastic surprisingly good it's been so good and that like during all the preseason previews when all, all the other like podcasts 
stats and people writing the preseason power rankings when they talked about the Orioles there was like there's no re no way that they're going to be anything other than like last or second to last or third to last or whatever because their pitching is terrible and it's going to be the worst in the league when uh, the pitching has been what has been salvaging us yeah. for the most I mean part like we've winning games because of it yeah. no no disrespect to the Orioles but I don't think anyone expected it to have the same record as the Yankees and the Cubs right now not only the same yeah. today so we're, we're talking on Wednesday April 28th so the, the the they actually do play the Yankees tonight so that will change right. one way or the other but as of right now what is it the Cubs the Yankees the Marlins and the Orioles all have the same record and, and not only that but their last 10 are exactly the same they're both five and five for their last 10 games yeah. mm -hmm. with the Yankees and the Cubs yeah, baseball's topsy-turvy this year. It's kind of, it's it's crazy. On one hand, like the Padres have been so much fun and goodness knows we did not necessarily enjoy that four game series where we dropped three. Right. We've lost three games in a row. It's over. <laughs> you know? So there's a lot of histronics. Yeah. But on the other thing, I am so excited to see the Giants do well because as much as fun as the Padres have been, there are rivals. Like there are decades literally a century of, of history between these two teams and i'm i'm ready for the for the pot for the padres to like do some things but i want the giants and like dodgers giants that's the love hate match so let's talk a little bit more about the orioles they're 10 and 13 right now as we said same as yankees cubs and marlins you guys swept the red sox opening weekend we uh, did which was <laughs> we all Everyone assumed that meant that the Red Sox were terrible. We were all like, man, the Red Sox are so bad. The Orioles just swept them. And we just did it in this dominant fashion. And because nobody is going to decide that it could be both that right. maybe the Red Sox are worse and the Orioles are better. Everyone just decided that it meant that the Red Sox uh, were really bad. And it just happened to be that the Orioles beat uh, swept what's turning out to be a, a really good team, really good team opening their opening series and the Orioles are better than people expected their offense came off like went off to a really slow start but offense league-wide has been bad it's almost like they it's intentionally not, screwed the ball for reasons yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. I uh I have to say I when I first saw the like they're that they're gonna do a home run derby I was just like yes I cannot wait to see a home run derby with a ball that is designed to stay in the park I think that the Orioles are actually a perfect perfect example of what has happened in deadening the ball and changing it mm -hmm. um looking at the stats because you know typically we have a bunch of guys who were power hitters we, we have Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, Anthony Santander, etc cetera, etc cetera. and um they are all have these um batting averages that were like just not great and haven't hit nearly as many home runs as you would have expected them to. These balls are, I mean, they're flying in a different way. So it's harder for guys to, to hit them. All of the, our power hitters, their, their batting averages are much lower. They have fewer home runs. They have fewer doubles. <laughs> and then you look at Cedric Mullins, who is our five foot eight center fielder. Part of what he did with this is that he was a switch hitter and he did decide that he wanted to go from switch hitting and focus on just hitting left-handed. But I feel like this change is so drastic that there, there has to be more to it. The ball has impacted him. The work that he put in made him better. Mm -hmm. Power hitters are struggling because of the ball, but he is a small ball guy and he yeah. always has been because he's five foot eight and weighs like five pounds. He's outperforming these guys that we've considered the, you know, the best players on our team. That's really, I mean, the Dodgers have a lot going on. We've had some injuries. Um, 
you know, Cody Bellinger has a hairline fracture and is out. Mookie's been hit right. in the arm a couple times, you know, but CT3, uh, Chris Taylor, our, yeah. our super utility guy kind of sounds like that. Like he's really come into his own Rios, who is, was our power home run hitter is hitting under a hundred right now. Like he's, it's, he's, he's definitely has more than ball issues happening right now. Trust me. Uh, we've been playing small ball. We've loaded the bases like a billion times this season and we just haven't cashed in. Um, yeah. So. I mean, there have been a, a handful of games that <laughs> an unfortunate number of games that we have lost where we got more hits than the team that beat us and the team that beat us you know scored seven runs or something like that and we scored a two and I'm making up these numbers because I don't have the uh, box scores in front of me but they got like 11 hits and we got 14 or 15 and the run (laughs) run discrepancy is just wild there was one game where we had oh god it was like 22 left on base when you added up each individual players lob numbers and I I just went and I'm I'm curious like with how much the top performing offensive players in the league how many of them are the typical power hitters and how many of them are guys who are more small ball guys? Because some of them, like J.D. Martinez is performing and he's a power hitter and always has been. Um, and so is Nelson Cruz. And I mean, Mike Trout does everything. Um, right. But I'm, I'm wondering about- As long the, as Mike like, Trout is still at the top, <laughs> baseball isn't quite as on fire as people believe it. Right, right. I think people- undervalue these guys with the high batting averages and high numbers of singles and and doubles and um high number of runs but lower ops and don't think like don't consider how much they really do contribute to team wins i think it's definitely becoming clearer this year if people were dismissing yeah. them that's for sure um and then apologies yeah. the dodgers game is on right now and you know, oh, yeah. I'm just every now and then looking over, just taking a look, seeing what's going on. We're up to nothing right now. I'm sure that'll change down on strikes. Sonny Gray's looking good. I gotta say. I really, I like him and he's, he seems to be very happy to have left the Yankees. Like he got out of New York and yeah. was like, maybe I am a good pitcher. Maybe I just <laughs> didn't like being around you guys and needed a change of scenery with a place where I can like express myself and I'm not around like stuffiness all the time. And he can grow and a mustache if he wants to. I can, yeah, I can grow a mustache if I want to. Literally as soon as he went to a different team, he looked like a completely different pitcher. And I love that for him. I mean, we, we can, we've seen that with some players for sure. Uh, I mean, Max Muncy being the, the, the Dodgers example, yeah. environment hundred percent means something. Um, in fact, that's been part of like the conspiracy theory of Dodger Twitter is like, what's different in Clubhouse? Like, what's going on? It's like, well, we're still, we still have a pretty good record and half our team is on the aisle. So, you know, maybe the reason why Matt Harvey is doing well this season mm-hmm. and better than expected isn't just that he worked really hard at a pitching facility in the offseason because he's been doing that for a while now. Maybe it's because the, like Orioles have really good vibes. Good vibes. I'll take it. It's the Birdland. Yeah. It's the Birdland Power Company. Am I using that right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. It's just yeah. It's just Birdland, Birdland. now. But it, Birdland. it was that. It was for. It was for a bit. I mean, like it's just this kind of ragtag group of unexpected yeah. people that we have, like Matt Harvey and. Cesar Valdez, the weirdest closer in the league. Um, oh, who, I'll take a weird closer if, as long as they're consistent. <laughs> everyone since 2020 and still for a while this season has been like, there's no way that he can keep this up. Like he, his fastball maxes out at 85 miles per hour and he doesn't even throw it that often. Mostly he throws his dead fish change up, which is in the like, 
borderline ephus. <laughs> yeah, it's like 75 <laughs> miles per hour. So like people are going to figure him out and they're just going to like start mashing out of the mashing well, balls out of the yard that, on him. Is yeah. Or is it, yeah. It, yeah. He like the guys are just confused. Like he goes up there and he throws the ball and they're like, even though they read up on him and know that those are the speeds that he throws, people aren't, they, they're not used to people like throwing most of their pitches at them at 75 miles per hour. And they're not used to swinging the bat to hit 75 mile per hour pitches. So when you combine a, a good movement, um, like a good tricky movement that looks like it's, coming right at you when really it's it sinks a it's lot it's just gonna drop like, off yeah yeah it, it just drops it drops off so much and it's slow so these guys are like swinging so much earlier than they need to and way higher than they need yeah. to and they look like fools and it's hilarious um <laughs> Well, I mean, timing is so important. I mean, that's yeah. whenever in spring training, that's like the, the buzzword is when the hitters and hitting is like, oh, they're working on timing, 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 timing. Well, when you're facing, especially when they're having to face a hundred miles an hour, one inning, and then, you know, 75 miles an hour, the next inning that, that, that messes with your timing. <laughs> you <know? Yeah. laughs> We're talking about pitching your, your staff has been standout and has absolutely defied all, all critics uh, yeah. thus far this year. Uh, who's, who's been the standout so far, aside from uh, your, your wacky closer, who's been your starter that has maybe been a surprise or just been performing? Um, well, I mean, there are kind of, there are two different answers there. And one is obvious, like John Means is John sensational. Means. He's yeah. John Means. He has the, he's, he has a 1.5 ERA right now, which is the fourth lowest in MLB and the second lowest in the American league. And if he keeps this up, he will be a serious Cy Young contender. Absolutely. Um, and he's another guy who, you know, he, he doesn't have a very fast fastball. He, he worked on increasing his velocity and he managed to get it so that he can throw, in the 95 to 97 mile per hour range, but he didn't manage to get control of that. So when he was trying to pitch, throwing that hard, he wasn't doing well. So um, Brandon Hyde was like, you got to do what you're good at. Like, don't, don't try to force yourself to throw faster just because you can. And just because you hear everybody say that starting pitchers are supposed to do that you're known for your change up that you've got one of the best in the league just go back and do that and he did and he's been every start he pitches is a joy to watch and basically everybody who watched him his rookie year was like this is fun it's a cool story but they all thought it was going to be a fluke because he wasn't a top 30 prospect he was an 11th round draft pick. Uh, he's a guy that we called up to be in the bullpen because we needed bullpen arms. And then a starter got injured and they were like, John, uh, we're going to have you start. You're going to be a starter now. <laughs> and he was like, okay. <laughs> and he turned out to be really good. He was preparing to like quit baseball. He'd started putting together a LinkedIn page because he <laughs> he decided that off season that if he didn't make the roster that he is finally going to admit to the fact that he didn't have what it took to be a professional baseball player and uh, then that year he made it on the roster by fluke of a pitcher getting injured and then his been our star pitcher since then the other the other cool story this year is kind of similar to that our number three starter right now is Bruce Zimmerman who is a Baltimore native he is not an Oriole draft pick he come he came from the Atlanta organization in the Darren O'Day trade Mm -hmm. He's not somebody who anybody expected to be in the Orioles starting rotation. He was a non-roster invitee to, or was he? No, I think he was put on the 40-man roster, but he's 
you know, he was invited to spring training, but nobody nobody assumed that he would be in the rotation. And there was a list of guys that people expected to be starters. You know, we'd signed Felix Hernandez and it was assumed that he would be one of them. It was assumed that Matt Harvey would be and then that the fifth would be like Dean Kramer or Keegan Aiken. Keegan Aiken wasn't good in spring and Dean and then Bruce Zimmerman was our best starter during spring training. So people were like, maybe they will name him as a starter. Maybe he'll get the fifth starting pitcher position. And instead, he was named the third starter in the rotation. And his ERA is not fantastic, but I think that he has pitched better than his ERA would lead you to believe. I've watched his games and he's looked really good. His ERA is inflated by having been pulled when with runners on base and having inherited runners score. And part of that is just part of that is just him being a rookie that they were not prepared to have and be in the rotation. So they hadn't stretched him out more than like just in this spring training they hadn't been paying as much attention to him as they were these other guys and therefore don't really know yet what the signs are of him getting tired and when exactly it is that he needs to be pulled that's understandable you because on one hand like you have to put your faith in a kid like that and you're right you as much as like hitters need to get comfortable pitchers need to get comfortable and I mean he was not prepared in the slightest to (laughs) be a starting pitcher in the in the major leagues he wasn't prepared for it either and he's stepped up to the plate he's I think he has the most strikeouts of no he does he has the most strikeouts of any of the starting pitchers in our league which is uh, in our league on our team which is great and I I think that his ERA will go down as he gets more used to being out there and as Brandon Hyde and Mike Elias watch him more and start figuring him out And, and because there's a difference between a guy like putting two on base just because he puts two on base and he'll be able to get out of that situation and a guy putting two on base because he's tired and done our starting rotation has been a lot better than you'd expect it to be Mm -hmm. but our team era which before last night's game it had gotten down to under four for the starting rotation and bullpen combined which is ridiculous we haven't had an under four team era in i don't know how long like even when we made it to the to the wild card game in 2016 we had like a 4.6 combined era or something like that and that's because our bullpen is so good and our bullpen is made up of this group of like rag tag who is that guy where did he come from dudes a a few of them are guys that are from our farm system but a lot of them are like Cesar Valdez and Travis Lakins senior (laughs) and and these are not names that I know (laughs) yeah and and Cole Sulcer and whatnot where and uh Paul Fry and players that people other people are like oh and we we got we traded the for to the indians cash considerations to the indians for adam plutko um who was a starter for the indians we put him in our in our bullpen as a long reliever and he's been excellent all of us had kind of mediocre expectations for him with that signing we thought it I mean we thought it was a good idea because we assumed that the team was going to be a lot worse than it is and that we'd during blowout during blowout losses we'd need guys to uh, some guy to go in and 
pitch four innings to save the bullpen. And that's what we thought Pleco was going to be. And instead, he's coming in during during games that were winning and pitching three innings and not giving up any runs. Like, think that he might have a zero ERA still. Uh, no, his ERA is 1.42. So not bad. Means has a 1.5, Valdez 0.84, Lakins, Travis Lakins Sr., who is a senior, so that you can tell the difference between him and his infant son, you know, just <laughs> in case you can't tell them apart. He's got a zero. Paul Fry has a 1.08. We've pulled we've called up a few prospects and they've who've pitched once and didn't give up any runs. And then Cole Sulcer, who everybody hated last year because Brandon Hyde really, like, he wanted Cole Sulcer to be the closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a few great outings at the beginning of the season and then just plummeted. And he came back this season and everybody was like, DFA him, get rid of him. Brandon and Hyde just wouldn't. He, they sent him wouldn't back down to the minors, but wouldn't DFA him. So Hyde called him out this season and everybody was like, no, we're going to lose, blah, blah, blah. He he came out. He looked great. He's now pitched five times and looks brilliant. What we found out is that he broke a toe at some point last season <laughs> and decided that he could just play through it and a pitcher, of, a pitcher could play with a, a pitcher ball. yeah that he like oh. yeah but you can't like cast them or whatever yeah. you just you just live with them um and which, when it was it his throwing arm toe or do you know which, I, do, I don't you know? know I don't know which one but it was it was just one of the little toe bones he was he was just like I'm gonna live with this it didn't work like because you can't pitch with a broken toe yeah he doesn't have a broken toe anymore he's now pitched 7.2 innings with five hits no walks and 12 strikeouts in 7.2 innings not bad not bad yeah. at all suddenly instead like people have been tweeting out like like finding their angry tweets from la- <laughs> from last season about Cole Sulcer and yeah. quote tweeting them like I apologize for everything that I said about him last season you know so. it's it's kind of frustrating to hear a story like that though because there's such a play through the pain mentality that yeah. it just ultimately it doesn't do anyone good any good a lot of people have been trying to like get Cody Bellinger back get Cody Bellinger back it's like well no it's April you're not gonna rush your right. you know former MVP back with a hairline fracture in his leg come on that's that's like on one hand that's very validating for him I'm sure but it's kind of frustrating to hear that as a baseball fan of like well just give him the time give him the time yeah. to heal and he could have been maybe even better this season although he's you know doing pretty great he also he, might have come back faster next last year he didn't tell anybody that, yeah, but that's part of it. Like, yeah, you can't... no, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if he had told people and had been rushed back, then yeah, I'd be. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm frustrated either way because mm-hmm. there's definitely this amount of machismo and play through the pain that permeates sports because men aren't supposed to show emotion and they aren't supposed to show that they feel pain and they're supposed to get better as fast as possible and and it's yeah they're and it's their livelihood and it breaks people and it breaks pitchers especially there there are guys who come back too soon and injure themselves immediately again and then are never the same that's what happened with Chris Tillman who was the Orioles ace pitcher for a while and was having this season that he was the the Cy Young leader that everyone was talking about like he's and then he got injured rushed himself back and got injured again and his shoulder turned into ground beef he just never got it back and he should have been told you know no you're not ready just like Steven Strasburg should have been told no, 
you're not ready. It's frustrating because I think I don't I don't I'm not sure how I feel about it. But like I feel like the pad Padres got a little bit of a bad rep for running out players before they're ready. But then again, Tatis just, you know, mashed us. So mm-hmm. that's that nebulous line of, are they ready? Players have to be honest with themselves and with their bodies. I feel like to a certain extent with certain players and certain types of injuries that teams and strength and conditioning coordinators and everybody who works with players who have these kinds of injuries need to err on the side of caution. So even if a player tells them over and over again that they feel great, if it has only been a certain amount of time, then it hasn't been long enough. As much as athletes think that they're superheroes, they aren't actually going to heal from these injuries faster than a normal human being is. If you shoot them up with cortisone, then maybe they're maybe they won't feel pain faster than the average person, but that do- that doesn't mean that the injury itself is going to heal. It just means that they're going to go out there and pay play pain-free on something that hasn't healed yet. I mean, that's the whole point of pain is like, hey, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Exactly. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the team. Who do you think is your underrated player right now? Aside from apparently the whole team. When I, I have to sometimes sit and think about like, wait, who's who's an Oriole right now? But you've got you've got a lot of really good players on your team. Who's who's that sneaky right. good who's come up for you right now? Like, like it's hard for me to fi- find an answer there with mm-hmm. with batters because offense has been so weird and our like, our defensive, our good defense is so obvious, you know. Yeah. Um, well, talk, talk defense then. Like, who's been yeah. your, who's been, your, who's getting your, who's getting the gold glove this year? <laughs> who's well, your gold I mean, glove contender? I should say. Cedric Mullins. Yeah. <laughs> he's the he's the best player on this team. Like, he's he's doing everything. He's making the best defensive plays. He's doing the best. Where's he um, playing? He's best. playing. Center field. Center. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of an interesting situation there because he, Austin Hayes, was supposed to be our center fielder of the future. And he got injured last season. So they called up Cedric Mullins, who was supposed to be really good too. And he didn't play well offensively uh, at first. And everybody kind of wrote him off. When he came up, Last season, after having been at the Bowie alternate site for a while, suddenly he was uh, playing a lot better. And not like he is this season, but better than we'd seen him before. And suddenly there was all of this talk. Who was going to be the Orioles' center fielder? Will it be Cedric Mullins or will it be Austin Hayes? The Orioles have a big decision to make. These two players have to prove themselves. Beat writers nationally and locally we're talking as if they were going to have to like fight a cage match and to to decide you know who was going to actually make it onto the roster there was no way both of them could and these kids they're best friends (laughs) they're best friends (laughs) yeah and i'm i'm sitting there watching like going like why can't like both of them can be on the team like we can have both I know we have like we we have a outfielders but one of them is like not really an outfielder and can just play him at DH a lot and put and that's what they're doing like they're they're playing both Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins in the outfield every day and and Austin Hayes was also injured a bit to start this season, but he came back and they're playing both of them and they're playing Cedric Mullins at center field because he's proven himself there. I don't know. I don't think that that kind of talk is productive for one, but I do think that it was motivational for him because he was definitely spoken about as the underdog that when people wrote these articles said Cedric Mullins is playing well but you know if he wants to make it onto this team instead of Austin Hayes or with Austin Hayes he's gonna have to do this this and this and this so there there was definitely this this idea and this vibe that 
his place on the team was precarious, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't guaranteed and he was going to have to do all of these different things to prove himself and to to make it. And I I don't think that was ever actually true during the during spring training and everything. There never seemed to actually be any doubt that he was going to be on the 26 man roster. It it did seem to make him work very hard. I guess another underrated player or surprise that I'd say defensively and he has offensive issues and needs to do something there is Rio Ruiz uh, who who had been at third base but we got rid of our second baseman we'd (laughs) we'd signed um my god I'm forgetting his name we'd signed a guy and then we dfa'd him to bring on somebody else they they were like what are we gonna do for second we don't know what we're gonna do for second we should we bring up like pat valenka or somebody and then brandon hyde was like nah rio ruiz you can just play second base and he's a he's a third baseman he uh-huh. he'd never played a major league game at uh, second base he he'd played a few at, at second in spring training but never in a major league game and he's amazing like he's he was known for being kind of bad defensively he's like not a great natural a third baseman guy. not a hot corner guy he is a natural defensive second baseman. And it makes me wonder where he would be skills wise second base if somebody at some point earlier on in his baseball career Mm -hmm. had said, hey, you know, you're not that this third base is not ideal for you. Why don't you try out second? There have been a bunch of amazing highlight you know, web moment defensive plays that we've had uh-huh. some of the best some of the best defensive plays made on the team this season have come from Rio Ruiz at second base. You know what that music means. It's time for a word from our sponsor. Welcome back. Let's get at it. I think the biggest lesson, I guess, that I've taken kind of from the start of the season is that it's really hard to be a major leaguer and all of them are pretty good at it. (laughs) So, so when you're talking about these teams that are the bad teams, they're still the best players in the world at this. They're still really good. And, and that's been really exciting to see this kind of shuffle we just lost two games to the Reds, who I don't think anyone expected. And it just is a reminder that like even these quote unquote bad teams are, f- and I don't think the Reds are a bad team. It just, it's just, it's just proof that it doesn't matter what team you're on. You're good. You're good if you're at this level. As you well know, <laughs> one of the things that I'm doing now is. I would love uh, to talk about positive spin, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm founded and host a podcast that is dedicated mostly to covering bad and or theoretically bad and uh, underperforming maligned by the media and fans baseball teams so we we chose the teams five teams that were at the bottom of the Pakoda projections and most of the preseason projections that I read mm-hmm. and then the Mariners due to the fact that they are in the midst the of this like 20 year <laughs> rebuild and have never won a World Series even though they we they won a series that... with them hooray yeah <laughs> <laughs> they, they weren't in the bottom six but I think that they were like number seven in all of these these are teams that everybody just talks about in this super, super derogatory way. I listened to a lot of podcasts before the season started that are like the more well-known baseball podcasts on the season previews of all of these teams. And I, I read a whole bunch of the power rankings for every team. And the way that national baseball media talks about these teams is for one it's kind of unnecessarily cruel 
and it's lazy. Um, and you can't learn about these teams and figure out and discover what is good and what's fun about them if you don't actually bother to pay any attention to them and put the research in. I, I'd listen to these these preseason preview podcasts. There would be an hour on all the other teams and even the like mediocre teams, they would get an hour. But then these bottom team tier teams would be stuck at the end of podcasts where they were talking about the better teams and they would talk about them for like 15 minutes and they wouldn't bother to find anything good to say about them. They would say that like, yeah, fans of these teams, they don't really like, there's nothing really good about them and they don't really have anything to look forward to this season. Well, I know, I mean, part of the reason I started this podcast is because I know that I am a more glass half full person than most fans are, but objectively, there are things to look forward to with the Orioles and with some of these other teams this season. You know, John Means is always somebody to look forward to. He's been great the last few seasons. Ryan Mountcastle's first full season on the team and his last year in the minors, he won the MVP of the national of the international league. Like he's a top 100 prospect, and this is his first full year in the major leagues. That's exciting. We've got other prospects that are being called up and starting this season that are you know on the team now. Even these things, they're cool, they're fun, they're exciting. They were just ignored and not mentioned. Everybody was just like, yeah, there's nothing cool. There's nothing interesting about this team. They're just bad. The The pitching is bad. The only like nice thing about this team this season is that Trey Mancini is back and that's good. You'd read the, oh my God, the, <laughs> the power rankings before the yeah. beginning of the season. And they would have, they, they'd write like paragraphs about every other team, about just everything going on with them, the different players, the projections for them, why they think that they'd be there. Then they'd get to the bottom and these these bottom teams and they'd have like one or two sentences about them that would just be boring, lazy jokes that I guess they thought were funny or clever, but all they showed to somebody who actually not just is a fan of these teams, but actually pays attention to them, is that they didn't bother to put any effort whatsoever into learning about these teams. So all they wanted to say was they're bad. Yeah, they wanted an easy an easy hit. So uh, which teams do you cover specifically in the podcast? So we cover the the Tigers, the Rangers, the Pirates, the Orioles, the Rockies, and the Mariners. The Rockies handed us our butts on opening day, so respect yeah. there. And, and, I mean, Brittich is gone, so who knows what's yeah. going to happen with him in the yeah. next... <laughs> we, we talked about that on our last podcast. That was yeah. one of the, the positive things that we brought up. Uh, didn't they beat you guys one other time too i don't remember but uh, they beat the they swept the astros in their mini series against yes. them so we liked that a lot i mean in general our group of six is outperforming what we would have expected them to i think the only two that aren't are the tigers and the I mean, the Rockies have are nine and fourteen, so they're they're at the bottom of their. I mean, I I'm never going to like yeah disparage them. <laughs> in this this even even yeah. if they get somebody fantastic yeah. in there, they've they've got a long way to to build. They back do. Before, they do. You know, I mean, dam damage is deep there. The the Tigers are the only ones that I'd say are like doing how we expected them to. They have a, a 333 percentage and the others, the Orioles have a 435 and then I think the other two have 417. So 
the Rockies and Rangers, I'd say, are both like slightly outperforming. The the Rockies we thought were going to be just like truly dreadful. And I think everybody thinks that the Orioles are doing better than expected just because no matter what their projections are, everybody thinks that they're the worst and they're tied with the Yankees, which um, and the Cubs. You know, is. Yeah. But the the Tigers have the worst run differential in the league. Yeah. So that means that we we have to with finding positive spin for them yeah. means delving into other things. What's interesting is that they they actually have some pretty all of our teams have some pretty decent pitching some of them have some of the best pitching in the league which means that their win-loss records are are caused by other things and that you know there's so much that goes into it and when a few of our few of the teams are in the top 10 in bullpens I think that we have three teams on this list that are in the top 10 in bullpens if you have good pitching and don't have offense, you're not going to win games. Or if you have pitching and uh, offense, but not good defense, then you're not going to win games. People still deserve to hear about these teams. And the Pirates, <laughs> I think the the Pirates are right now. Well. Yeah, yeah, they have a they have a 12 and 11 right yeah. now. When yeah. we they were projected, they're only, like, by, they're only two and a half games out. Of, right. Of they, they were they were projected to be at the bottom of yeah. they were pro- projected to be 30 like they were projected to be the worst in the, in the league. So, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. And the Mariners have been on this just absolute tear. They I mean, the only reason yeah, they're, they're like not at the top. Is, back. Yeah, yeah. 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 They're the only reason they're not at the top is because of the athletics. No, we're four and a half games back, but the that's saying that we're four and a half games back that's nothing and it shows you like especially not in april especially not in april yeah and in the american league east (laughs) be having that that like a four and a half game differential between the top and the bottom that's Uh nothing that's nothing um we i think we were like there have been in the last few seasons, we've been like 30 games behind or, or something ridiculous like that, maybe even more. So, you know, I'm sure that'll grow. But the fact that we are still only 4.5 games back is is good. So I, I just want to talk a little bit about um, about Camden Yards because mm-hmm. we share a common architect in Janet yes. Smith. Dodger fans are finally in the stadium and they're in love with it because she's yeah. so damn good at what she does. I want to talk just a little bit of a little bit about what's special about Camden Yards to you. The intimacy of Camden Yards. I love that it was built right in the middle of everything. It was built in part to help revitalize the city and it did. So it was it was an important part of revitalizing the like the harbor area, the the inner harbor and the area surrounding downtown. So it's like right near the water and it's right up against this old warehouse, which is the longest brick building east of the Mississippi. And it's so cool. So there's actually what was a street that runs through it. So the stadium itself is like right up against that street and the the street is you know the 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 pedestrian walkway between the between the warehouse and the stadium and is what lets you walk all the way around it and that warehouse is where in all of the offices are and it's where the team store is and there's like a a general store in there and like a beer store and whatnot. So you get this beautiful view of that. And I love the the clock that you see and everywhere that you sit is there are good views. Ticketing has been really frustrating because we wanted to go, the Dodgers are playing the Angels in Anaheim and I have Angels friends, Angels fans friends, and I have Dodger fan friends. And I have also just have people who like, just like baseball and, or just want to get out of the house because their vaccine two weeks are up and they just want to do something, you know, trying to get tickets for the 
Angels, Dodgers, any of the game in the series was just very frustrating. Each, it seems like each team has their own system of trying how you get tickets. Um, I think I'm probably going to end up going to a minor league game. I'm probably going to go to a Quakes game before I end up at a major league game, just because it's, it's ticketing is a mess and, and things get sold out really quickly, or you're only left with like two or $300 seats. And that just, that's not fun. I like, I get it on one hand, but on the other hand, like, it's very frustrating. (laughs) Are the Orioles like, alternating games for season ticket holders because my understanding is when you buy a season ticket you buy that seat like that is your seat and you stay in it and you have that seat for that many games but you can't do that with pods at seating so how is that working for season ticket holders they um for the Orioles they they rearranged seating for people so we are not in our normal season tickets at least through May and they're going to reevaluate at some point to see what capacity they feel comfortable with for June. And at that point, they'll see whether or not, you know, they're going to go to full capacity or half capacity or whatever, and whether or not season ticket holders will be able to go back to their regular seats at that point. I am in an area where every section like the 10 sections around me are sold out completely with season Mm -hmm. tickets. The main difference is that like the scoreboard is obstructed for us Mm -hmm. now. Um, They have TVs up so we can like look at those, but that's kind of annoying. But the, the view of the actual, um, the important view, the view of the actual stadium is still excellent. One of the coolest parts of our seats is that we are, we're on the aisle there and our seats are right next to the section that friends and family of the visiting players sit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've gotten, we've gotten to like recognize certain family. people. And when we sit there, we look over and like try to figure out like who <laughs> is related to who or who is friends with who. Um, there was a period of time when with Tampa, um, Brandon Lau and Nate Lowe were both on the team and both of their families are from Virginia, the Tidewater area, and Mm -hmm. they would all be there from the Lowe's and the Lows. And we always thought that that was kind of funny. I can tell you a note quickly though, the Mariners games I went to or seven inning, it was a seven inning doubleheader and seven inning doubleheaders are terrible. Like I didn't like them already, but going to see one, in person really cemented that just mm-hmm. in person the games feel they feel even more rushed in person than they do on television it feels like you're watching two incomplete games um so i yeah. i like them in theory because you know it saves bullpen but i haven't been to one yet and i haven't watched a dodgers play one yet either so yeah. i might have a, i may have a different opinion once that happens right I've heard that the visiting team actually has a um, an advantage in them that something like three quarters of the time the visiting team wins the games in the seven inning doubleheaders, and I don't know exactly why. I don't think that they've, I don't, I don't know if since then they've delved into it. Just that when I read that they had crunched numbers and realized that that was a thing, and therefore that there's, there's actually excuse in favor of the, the visiting team. Um, and I just, I like more baseball, but I didn't <laughs> I, like it. But sorry. It, <laughs> we just had so many extra innings games with the Dodgers in which we lost terrible. So. <laughs> I mean, I st- like I, an, an extra inning game where you lose terribly yeah. is frustrating but I yeah. still love extra yeah. inning games even yeah. when we lose yeah. but yeah the going to a seven inning game in person was a very different experience than watching it on tv uh-huh. and it it was worse like I I didn't like it seven seven inning no hitters I think that they should count as complete games but I don't know if I think they should count as double hitters uh, sorry no hitters, <laughs> as no hitters. Um, 
I do agree that, you know, if a seven inning game goes to nine innings, then and the pitcher stays in and pitches and no hits through nine, then it should count as a no hitter. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that you'd have to change a lot of statistics if you did that, because there are a lot of pitchers who stay in and don't hit through seven innings all the time and then come out uh i mean it wasn't a no hitter but clayton kershaw sc scoreless through seven it wasn't a no hitter but i think i saw a statistic somewhere is like nolan ryan if you take out the no hitters he had uh like through seven 19 no hitters under that like right. uh, you know he went through seven seven innings with no hits 19 times i mean there there are guys who were like who throw no hitters or are perfect through seven and get pulled because they're they're young or they're you know coming off of injury or they you know they have pitch counts because of the fact that they are new to the league and they're rookies and don't want to be pushed and stuff like that and if we count seven inning games as no hitters it it's unfair to all of the people who have pitched seven innings without yeah. a hit. Yeah. So I'm also I, just I the think, fact that no. this was the fact that this was done for Madison Bumgarner is just like upsets the Dodger <laughs> and me deeply. Be proud of yourself. Yeah, it's, it's an still awesome a great accomplishment. Feat. It's super cool. Yeah. It's cool to do that. You know, but it's 27 even if ounce. It's, it's 27 yeah. ounces. A, yeah. Even if yeah. even if it's a regular game, it's awesome to go yeah. for seven innings. Yeah. Be proud of yourself. It isn't even as much that I think that it undermines people with real no hitters as that it takes away from the people who have like haven't gotten them who've accomplished yeah. the same thing. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, some oh sorry. CT3 just hit a double. We were talking about Super Utility Man. An RBI yeah. double. Yes. Nice. Oh, love him. Love him. Love yeah. him to death. There's a joke around um, because his name is Chris Taylor. So a lot of times yeah. when you type it, you accidentally type Christ Taylor. Uh, That's so hilarious. His nickname is Christ Taylor. And he's never done a thing wrong in his life, uh, as anyone knows, but certainly not doing anything wrong this game. He's got two walks and a RBI double, at least. I, that's only what I've been paying attention to. But yeah, I have to say, uh, I think we'll, we'll start to wrap up now, unless we want to do some more uh, Googling together. Yeah. But, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I hope this one counts. <laughs> the first one was yeah. just spring training. It's fine. Oh, and now Poyo's got a hit on base. RBI, Dead is up for nothing. Oh, no, I, this it's is not... going to sound, this is going to sound extremely arrogant of me, but man, the Dodgers are actually performing like the Dodgers and it feels so good. <laughs> that I think is the, one of the frustrating things that, I mean, granted some Dodger fans have been jerks. Like I am not going to defend, uh, some, some very bad, frustrating attitudes that are out there, Yeah, but that is not to explain it, but it is very frustrating to watch a team like the Dodgers perform the way they have when you know they're capable of more, even with an injured rotation, like Dodger depth. That's what you heard. That's the buzzword, right? The, the extreme Dodger depth and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe, maybe our depth is a little, not that I don't think it's there. I just think it, I think it's gotten blown up maybe a little out of proportion somewhat, but there's still, I mean, I'll still take this team any day. I love them. That was really, that's the frustration of like seeing a team that is capable of, of doing well and, and seeing them struggle is, is hard as a fan because you know they're capable of more and they're just not quite it again. Poyo just stole second. Oh my goodness. They are awake. That's at least the third base this game stolen. And I've only been half paying attention. Maybe I need to half pay attention more often. I'll tell you, man, if you're not superstitious, baseball will make you superstitious. <laughs> you know, I was scorekeeping the other day, the game against the Padres that we won. And literally the, the, the at bat that I stopped scorekeeping, we went ahead. And I was just like, baseball, you are trying to make me into a superstitious weirdo. And I accept I'll be a superstitious weirdo if it means my team gets to win. Uh, but yeah. I do want to wrap it up. We're, we're approaching yeah. the two hour mark. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Again, of we, course. We will cut out a large portion of the, of the, yeah, of course. the podcast while we were both literally just Googling about tickets. Uh, I do want to give you a chance to uh, let us know where we can hear positive spin rate and where we can hear more from you. All right. So positive spin rate is on all major platforms now. So you can get it on um, Apple and Spotify and Stitcher and everywhere else. And we're on Twitter at at positive spin rate, but that's R and then the number eight. And if we've got an email address, which is just positive spin rate, but with R-A-T-E at gmail.com. And you can find me uh, on Twitter at at A-L-A-I-N-N-F-O-C-A-I-L, which I'm not going to bother trying to say because I don't even know how to say it myself. (laughs) You know, it's going to keep some mystery in life. Matt Beatty is up with Bases Loaded, and this is about the 19th time Oh, the bases have been, that was a very high fastball and he laid off it. Uh, You know, it's almost like none of them have ever seen a league of their own and don't know how to lay off the high fastballs, but that has been like Max Muncy is chased out of the chased high chased out. It's been crazy, but they are not chasing now. They're trying to get him with it. Oh, 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 son of a, it's okay. It was a sack fly. And I, we scored, it looks like yeah. we scored at least two. It looks like we, no, it wasn't a sack fly. It was a bounce. It was a double. Nice. It was a double. Oh man. 20. Oh, he dropped it. Oh, that, he, that would have been a spectacular catch had he made it, but it was, uh, yeah. so Matt Beatty was like struggling and he went down to the alternate site and has came up and has been on a tear. His wife in 2019, uh, made a joke on Twitter. Like, is my husband a cheat code? And uh, of course that took off. And then like when, <laughs> when the Astro <laughs> scandal broke, there were some trolls out there was like, Matt Beatty's cheating. His, his wife confirmed it. And we're all like, oh, no, we're just talking about the hit. Like it's an inside joke. Please don't. Hey, I, if, if that's what going down to the alternate side is, maybe, maybe Rios, maybe Rios should, should spend some time down there just a little bit. I feel like the alternate site is a good idea and is something that they should do every season because it helps Orioles players significantly last season. And I think it's helping them again this season. And sometimes guys just need to go and work on stuff without going and playing minor league ball. Yeah. Well, I I do wonder what's going to happen to the alternate site with the re-up. And that's a base hit that's going to score two as well. Oh, nice. the Dodgers are back. Oh, oh, the Dodgers are back. Oh, yes. oh, that is a Mookie Betts double scoring too. You pat the top of your head, head buddy. You dumped on him. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, this has been, this has been fantastic. Yeah, I, I do yeah. wonder what will happen to the alternate site because it seems to help. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if there's resources or, or even players enough because, you know, you need, I don't, I feel like alternate site is murky. Um, you know, no one. It's it's a very different thing from the minor leagues. Yeah. It's something where they are, they're training instead of playing competitive games. And yeah. it's, you know, it's minor league players and major league players and minor league players spanning from like low A up through triple A playing yeah. with seasoned major leaguers all together um, and playing like doing some practice against each other and some of them are just like working directly with coaching staff on like they're it's just doing whatever they feel like they need to do instead of like going out and playing against um you know, playing a competitive nuts. season yeah. right exactly <laughs> That's, that's the game we're gonna that's the first game we're gonna see is uh is uh, quakes versus nuts it's gonna be great yeah. um well thank you so much for chatting with me and like just this one time uh, even though yeah. i technically said it the first time i'm gonna say go orioles uh you're, yeah you're the good orange team as we call you <laughs> This podcast is going out on May 3rd, and since I talked to Heather last Wednesday, the Orioles have unfortunately dropped into last place in the AL East, but despite that, 
they're only three and a half games back from the Red Sox who lead the division, those same Red Sox that they swept on opening weekend. In the overall standings, there are nine teams with worse records and they're tied with the Phillies currently. They face off against the Mariners next and we'll see how it goes. The Dodgers did win that game against the Reds, but dropped the next three to the Brewers. They came back yesterday, Sunday, with a two Grand Slam game. One from A.J. Pollock in the first and Matt Beatty in the second. Between the two of them, they scored 15 of the 16 Dodger runs in the game. Look, I don't know if this kind of production is sustainable, but it certainly feels like the Dodgers might be getting back on an even keel. Some good news on the personal front, since I'll be past my two weeks vaccine window by the end of this week, I'll be heading out the following week to Rancho Cucamonga to see the RC Quakes take on the Modesto Nuts. Tickets are $15, and that's for like the good seats behind home plate. If you're an LA Dodger fan and you haven't been yet and you're able, you really should go. You just might see the next, you know, Cody Bellinger, Walker Bueller, Jock Peterson, Mike Trout, Howie Kendrick, Will Smith, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, Gavin Lux. You get the idea. Come and see the future of the Dodgers right in front of you. So if the baseball gods are willing and you've got your COVID shot all squared away, we'll see you out there. Baseball Neighborhood is a production of Dodger Yard. Oh, one more thing. Even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, it'd be super cool if you left a review there. You should also follow the show on Twitter, at NeighborBall, or follow me, Tavi, which my handle is at S-Z-N underscore baseball. See you next week. That has been in my head the whole time with the O's. Thank you, Secret Sisters. Thank you for that one.